Have you noticed everybody's picking the Chiefs to reach the Super Bowl, a game they haven't played in in five decades? We're a lot of people anyway. Are we being too optimistic about the Chiefs? Kansas City Star columnist Vahe Gregorian and I share our thoughts on Sports BKC, the sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star and sponsored by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Later, with the news this week of St. Louis landing a major league soccer team, we wonder if Kansas City and St. Louis can finally develop a sports rivalry. Why hasn't this happened? It's Thursday, August 22nd, and you're listening to Sports Beat KC. Vahe, it's great to see you. How you doing? I'm good, Blair. Uh, we're right in that, that sweet spot of seasons entwining and, and the uh, hope springs eternal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, downright optimistic if you're a Chiefs fan these days. Chiefs, by the way, play their uh, third preseason game Saturday night at Arrowhead Stadium, 7 o'clock kick, Channel 5, 101 The Fox, all the details are for you there. Against the 49ers, we'll see uh, maybe D Ford, maybe, maybe in uniform. Hadn't played in the preseason yet, um, so don't know if uh, D Ford's going to play, but it'll be his first time back at Arrowhead since uh, since he was about four inches offside in the AFC title game. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, not off to a great start as the 49ers quarterback. But who cares about the 49ers? This is about the Chiefs. Andy Reid said today at, um, at his press availability that starters could play into the third quarter. That's what he did last year in the third preseason game in Chicago. I remember Mahomes played the first half, and they played the first series of the second of the third quarter. And the, I think the idea is Andy wanted to have the team know what it feels like to come out of halftime, and, uh, especially if they get the ball right off the bat. What's funny, Blair, and, and as Bill Self would say, you might want to check me on this, but I think this is true. The only difference between last season and this season so far has been that Andy has said they're going to play way more than they have, but they haven't played any less than they usually do. I think that's. I think that. Checks yes, I out. think in terms of series played, yeah, that it ends up that way. The difference, little, the defense, right? Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say you're right. With some of the Teran Matthew, certainly was only four snaps in two games, and but the difference is they haven't been at least in the in the Pittsburgh game. They weren't productive on those two series, so it's not like they lengthened the clock. You know, they could have stayed in the entire first quarter, except they were out pretty quickly, and there were four possessions in that first quarter. Yeah, good point. I mean, if you're thinking about it more in terms of like a pitch count or something, it's kind of weird. Like Mahomes has thrown eight pitches, yeah, that's <laughs> or, right. you know, 11 right. pitches that, in right, two games, exactly. and it seems a little bit, you know, under under um, what you aspire to. At the same time, I think isn't the prime directive – uh, as you so well put it in your, your grading of the coaching staff after the first game, get Mahomes out clean. A. You get and, an A. And, and you get coaching. an A for that. So, But one of the things we've talked about before, and we probably want to address more substantially now, too, is, I mean, where is that exact uh, optimal point, right, where you're getting enough to get a taste and a little bit of timing and not being overexposed for either injury or, you know, God forbid you show, show a play you might actually run in the regular season. Exactly. All right, so let me ask you this question. For it to be a successful night for the Chiefs, what do you need to see? I think we, we need to see a little Mahomes magic, right? Maybe More than what we've seen, right? Yeah. Except and, for the first play of the preseason, right? Yeah. Everything else has been kind of flat, right, other than that. I, 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 what did he complete? Three of five the first game, four of six? Something like that. Four of six sounds but, about right. But that one was the 36-yard pass to Travis Kelsey down the sideline was really the only only ball 
medium range even, right? That's I right. think so. It was complete. Where he really had to cock his arm and throw, yeah. throw it deep. You know, and, and so and it was a little, the, the dud part, part of the big dud in Pittsburgh was, he, he, I think neither pass that he completed was more than six yards, and any ball he threw more than six yards was incomplete. Um, and two, clearly, uh, one was just, it looked like Patrick probably overthrew it to Tyreek Hill down the left sideline, sort of a, a long out. Yeah. Um, but the other one was absolutely a, a breakdown in communication one way or another, whether, you know, Tyreek misread the defense or, or Patrick, whatever, for whatever reason, Patrick expected him to be somewhere where he wasn't. So when you see that kind of thing, I mean, we probably all have been feeling like they could start the season right now offensively and be fine. But when you see that kind of thing, it reminds you, well, you, you do need a, a little tune up here. Right. So I think we want to see them get some of those sorts of plays going, right? I don't think we need to see four 75-yard touchdowns, but don't you want to see three 35-yard connections uh, in, in in space and over the yeah. middle? And, yeah. You want to see you want to see if they've got the muscle memory, right, yeah. from, from a year ago. But I will, I will remind that in Atlanta in the second preseason game last year, the game in which Mahomes had the long pass to Tyreek Hill just before halftime, which amazed us all, they didn't play well offensively in that game, and they didn't play well offensively against the Bears. And maybe, maybe Andy's just rope-a-doping here and absolutely not showing anybody anything. Um, and, and they're all just back in their meeting rooms just laughing and chuckling when they, <laughs> when, when they look at the film. <laughs> See what defense they're in? We're going to smoke that, when, something like that during the season. Uh, and, and, of course, they did. Yeah. You remember they came out in their first two regular season games last year at the Chargers, at the Steelers, and just were, were tremendous right off the bat. You would never have seen that start in that Chargers game coming from the preseason games. Mm-mm. And it was night and day. You know, you, what you just said reminded me of something I heard at the Hall of Fame. There was, there was a great story going around about how Ed Reed kept intentionally doing some zone, some, some defense, maybe not even a zone, wrong for like six straight games, knowing Peyton Manning was going to pick up on it and then, un, you know, busted out of the rope-a-dope uh, in a key moment. And th- that's the image you have me thinking of. Like, they're just setting everybody else up for this. And it feels like they're that good that we could really envision that you know, chortling in the back room, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it, it does. And we don't know that they're that good, but it's easy to picture the, the confidence they must have. I think part of it, our kind of where we stand on things is we go through training camp and we talk to the players and the coaches every day and we ask them every day about this offense and Travis Kelsey saying it's, you know, it's the best he's ever seen and everybody, all, the, all the offensive players are just, you know, beside themselves, falling over themselves in praise of this offense. And then they go out to Pittsburgh and just kind of lay an egg, and you think, "What? What are you, what are you talking?" Sky's about? the limit. <laughs> Sky's oh. the limit. That was the one, right? So, so you kind of answered my other question. What, what would um, you know? What would be a bad night for the Chiefs? I do think if, if if the offense kind of repeated the performance of last week and three and outed itself after a couple of you know series, it, it would be bad. And I'm, I'll do air quotes around that because is it really going to be something that matters in? two weeks i i don't think so i think we're just like we need some information now we want to see something to process something to dig into something for us to have 11 stories to write that night uh (laughs) at least give us one um attached to that of course is whatever it is we think we need to see out of the defense and i do think we all kind of have agreed this week as we've talked about it that they do need reps and they need reps together blair i wasn't out there today I, i don't know what the latest is on 
Tyron, but it, it, he's expected to play. I yeah, think. that's what Andy yeah. Reid said today that uh, Tyron Matthew will play. He's been at practice this week. He didn't. He wasn't involved in any contact work on Wednesday, but on Thursday today, uh, what little contact work they did, he was involved with. He's he's going to play. And Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, said on Wednesday that they really need to see him out there. And they the defense just they they need reps together uh, game reps they, they need to be out there together and uh, and that may be as significant uh, as anything we see on offense is how well the, the starting defense plays in, in the first half so so that leads us into the headline question <laughs> Vahe and maybe set aside the performance of the preseason games everything that I have read seen heard um, about the Chiefs, is incredibly optimistic, as optimistic as I've ever, you know, experienced with the Chiefs going into the season since the, since the '90s, since they were coming off of 13 and three seasons and had everybody back, and and uh, they never followed 13 and three with another one. They would always go 13 and three, and then nine and seven or ten and six, and, and in between lose a playoff game, and right? then I and mean, then yeah, yeah 13 or, three yeah. lose a playoff game at home, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then go nine and seven. So 12 and four, AFC Championship game, losing overtime. And uh, and on the on the team that beat them lost one of their best players and Rob Gronkowski right so I can I understand the narrative I understand how how you reach the conclusion that the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC I think that I'm hearing too much about that you know and maybe I'm reading it I'm, I'm you know I'm, I want I want to read everything I can about the Chiefs and maybe I'm just reading too much but it. it I want to see some contrary opinions here. I just, you know, just for my own satisfaction, I want to see somebody really believe in the Chargers or the Patriots or the Steelers or the Colts. And I'm not seeing enough of that. And I'm so my question to you is, is, is there too much optimism about this Chiefs season? Well, look, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen this, but I feel like I've over the summer, I remember seeing some sort of dollops of Chargers are the team to beat, and then just kind of, you know, there's a dollop ice cream. Can you have a dollop of ice cream? It just kind of melts away. Yeah, yeah, I think. Okay, you can yeah, have dollops yeah. of other things, I guess. But, yes. But, it seems but, like cream in the coffee, a little dollop of cream. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of, it just disintegrates into the mm-hmm. coffee. And, and I think that's, you know, the chiefs of the coffee. <laughs> 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 no, but I, but I do think, here's the thing. I think it is founded, if that's the right word. Um, and I guess the question becomes, who does it affect if there's too much optimism, right? And you know, of course, it affects fans. Like, how do you, how do I, how do I handle this idea that, you know, we talked about this before the first preseason game, actually, sort of the notion that this is the first time. I mean, you could say Super Bowl or bust any year, but the the foundation of the thought is fairly pure. I mean, it is. It, it comes from it comes from a good place and a, yeah, the right place, right? It does. I mean, and and it's even factually true right i mean if you if you assume there is any any such thing as momentum any such thing as continuity and we know that those aren't automatics but if we assume that and the chiefs came a combination of four inches the offside call slash an off uh, a coin toss away from being in the super bowl for the first time in 50 years the closest they've been in 50 years they have that offense basically entirely back reason to think it could be better even if it doesn't score more points right i mean i think patrick's going to be a better quarterback yeah reason to think slash hope the defense will be better than the worst that it was or 31st that it was 
but no knowledge yet of how that comes together. No knowledge what the new problems might be, the, the unintended consequences of blowing up a defense and bringing in a new coordinator and so much new personnel and all those things that maybe don't take right away. So I'm not sure I'm speaking properly to the point you're making. I mean, it. I do think fans have the right to think this team is a Super Bowl team, though. And I think if you're the Chiefs, you, you don't uh, uh, you don't stop this. You, you you can cash in on the idea of of having a great team. You can sell tickets. You can sell merchandise, um, and uh, and everybody's along for the ride. I, and that's fine. That's what should be done. If you're a smart businessman, you're, you're a business person, you're you're doing that. I, I don't know. I, I just I can just envision. The opener at Jacksonville, and you know the Chiefs down fourteen to nothing at the end of the first quarter, <laughs> and people going berserk, going out of their minds. Well, let me flip this sort of a different way on you, and we've talked about this a little bit, but maybe not enough. And I'm sure we will talk it to death and write it to death if it comes to pass. But who knew what the Royals were going to do in 2015 after it losing in Game Seven? Not exactly a parallel to this, but a, you know, a little bit, right? A little bit. And I didn't think they were just going to go right back to the World Series and, and storm through the playoffs and, and win it all. Um, and I think there's an example in there, and it's a useful one in terms of the psychology that was in play in the Royals clubhouse, right? It, it fed the hunger. And hunger is a mechanism, right? But it doesn't define whether you're going to succeed. But but I think there's no reason to think that they're not on fire about this opportunity. I think that's a good column for you to pursue. There's a handful of Royals left. I had the exact same thought. Uh, I can remember in 14, after the 14 season, the Royals not only losing in Game 7, but losing in the ninth inning, the, yeah. you know, Ugh. having a chance in the ninth yeah. inning of Game 7 to win the World Series and how improbable that would have been. But... You know, four months later, going to in February, going to surprise Arizona, and really being impressed by the attitude of Ned Yost and you know and the players in the clubhouse about how unsatisfied they were that the season ended the way it did. Now it's a convenient narrative. It's, it's what you have to say, right? You right. have to say that. Right. But I really got a sense that that was true. That they <clears throat> felt that, um, and they came out on fire in ninety in in two thousand fifteen. I. I I think there's something that's the parallel that we're familiar with in Kansas City. You know, in the NFL, the Patriots have been so good for so long, you know, you, to go back to back and you know, they they just they're just they're just such a machine, right? And and if you're a Patriots fan, of course you're optimistic. You're you have to be. You should be. But to to say the Chiefs are going to be in the Super Bowl, a game they haven't played in in 50 years. <laughs> it just I I I find it I, I I'm reserving some space for Yeah for some, you know, uh, doubt. For yeah, some doubt. And, and look, at it, none of this is to say, oh, they're going, buy your tickets. But, but that's, the, that's that line in between where it's, it's, do you feel reason to feel optimistic? Yeah, I think that's pretty safe. And what comes with that, I guess that's the question too for a fan is, are you ready for the heartache of believing? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, of, of saying, I'm in. And an emotional investment, the likes yeah. of which you have never had with this team. <laughs> yeah. Because, not just because never of the had team. Reason, right? Quite, reason, quite right. the reason to have. Because you've got the quarterback. You've never had the quarterback. Now you've got the quarterback. Because even in those 13 yeah. and 3 years in the 90s, you had Elvis Gerbach. You know, you, you, you didn't have the quarterback. Now you do. 
You know, you made me think of, well, two things. One, I, I was on radio in Las Vegas this morning, and they were asking about Andy Reid and about how Andy Reid's you know, reputation for not winning the big one. And I thought, I really don't think of Andy Reid that way. And I think it's because I've thought that he is, it's inevitable he'll win a Super Bowl or two. I just, I just do. But I thought that before he got Patrick. And I, now, I, I, do, I do too. I, I feel even, that's even more the case. The other thing, though, you made me think of was in the wake of that Royals Game 7, ninth inning, ninth inning, right? Yeah, yep. um, Alex Gordon. And not sending Alex Gordon, you did a little project <laughs> on whether Alex should have run and how it would have worked out. I think you need to do a project on coin tosses <laughs> and how many times the Chiefs would have won if they'd won that coin toss and or how many times the official is going to call that offside instead of telling the guy just to back up. A little simulated project on that with a local school. Yeah, <laughs> get the Rock Horse baseball team in <laughs> to help us out with that. They'll, they'll always cooperate <laughs> with this. Right. They were great. Um, they were great. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, let's do a couple of quick uh, thoughts on... The football section, the Stars annual football section, is going to hit, hit the newsstands on Sunday, which is August 25th. It's already online. It's already available digitally on KansasCity.com, the Red Zone app, Facebook.com slash Red Zone Extra. And, uh, and you, you're a busy guy in the football section. Uh, I really enjoy, I've read all the stories. Um, they were terrific. And I loved how you got into... Patrick Mahomes influences basically as he you know as he developed as a, as a human as an athlete and, and as a human and talking to his trainer and talking to an old family friend and love the the anecdote about um, you know shooting three pointers with Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> uh, you know it, it, in, in the Mavericks uh, training facility so so I've teased the story you tell me what was the sort of the fun discovery when you were reporting that story I think it was the consistency of how people view him as a person and and his generous generous soul i i really came away feeling like i always thought he's a good guy and you know certainly easy for us to deal with maybe you know maybe i wish he was a little more you know arrogant just so the quotes would would fill up but he's not and i i think i came away feeling like he's real he's he's sincere he's real and also from talking to them feeling a sense of how that connects to the way he plays. Just this, this notion of his awareness of everything. Awareness on the field, awareness of people's feelings. Just things like that. And I hadn't really quite thought about it that way before. Didn't really understand it that way before. And so just kind of got down there and started thinking that my whole task was just think beyond the arm. Just think beyond the arm and see where that will go. And one last aside that uh, on this is just... Uh, Adam Cook, his high school coach, um, thought it was really important for me to get with some people, and he connected me with people that I might not have gotten with otherwise, and I was grateful for that. And they all wanted so badly to make time to to talk about Patrick, including, and we talked a little about this before, but a, a woman named Dee Landers, whose, whose husband was very ill, and she had just taken him to a dialysis treatment, and she couldn't wait she had to talk about Patrick. It meant a lot. Um, and we're still looking into uh, what's become of his health. But, but I, I thought that said something, that people want to make time just to talk about this. Because it, be, it could be old for them by right, now. Right, for you sure. Know, people have tried to talk to people about Patrick a lot. So I, I regretted that I wasn't able to connect with his family. But I, but I think it made me uh, 
you know, turn the Rubik's Cube a different way. Well, it was a fantastic story. Uh, and if you haven't read it digitally, uh, make sure you get a copy of Sunday's Kansas City Star. Uh, not just that story, but the, the section is loaded with just fantastic stories by Sam Mellinger, Brooke Pryor, Sam McDowell, just some, some great stuff. You have a story coming up uh, that I'm really looking forward to reading. And, uh, you know, it's funny. It's, this is a story that we've talked about before, and it's a topic that, that we've talked about before, how to kind of how to tell this story of Joe Delaney again. And you have found a way to tell it. And it, it's, uh, it works in concert with a visit to Kansas City from Joe Delaney's wife. So set it up for us and tell us what the story's about. Yeah, so the family is coming in for a game for the first time since 2004 when Joe was inducted into the Chiefs Ring of Honor. And it, I'm not entirely sure the chicken and egg that led to that, but they've wanted to come back for a while. So they're, they're renting a minivan and driving up from uh, Houghton, 15 of them, 13 of them in a 15-person minivan. And Carolyn will be the drum honoree on, uh, on Saturday night. And so as I was moseying about Louisiana and Texas last month, stopped in on them, and I've been lucky to get to know Carolyn a bit over the last few years, and, uh, but I had not met the daughters before. And we, uh, we all had lunch. One of the daughters was not able to make it, but really got talking a lot with the youngest daughter, Joanna. And she's, she's uh, a lot of the voice in, in what I've written. And the, the teaser I'd give is that she's uh, written a couple children's books called Joe the Great. And uh, they're just awaiting an illustrator and hopefully a publisher. And uh, I'll just say Joe the Great uh, wears a cape. And, uh, <laughs> and he's there to save the day. Is it, is it red? You know, I wonder if the cape's red. Well, I think she's waiting for an illustrator to help her with that. <laughs> help her with that. Okay. Although I didn't, yeah, I did fail to ask that. Darn uh, it. So let's, let's quickly, um, let's remind our listeners that yes. Joe Delaney was running back for the Chiefs. I forgot the year now. It's 1983. Okay. Um, Joe Delaney was at a park in, uh, actually, Monroe, Louisiana, 90 miles or so, hours or so at least from uh, where he lived. And uh, there was a makeshift pond there that... People weren't supposed to be swimming in, but were. And uh, at least three young boys were in there and, and were drowning. And uh, Joe, with utter abandon, ran in and either couldn't swim at all or could barely could barely swim. And uh, two of the boys drowned. A third got out. There, it, it, It's actually a little unclear all these years later whether Joe actually did save the third boy because there, there's some just some conflicting views about how it happened but I think the point is his heart and right. um, Joe drowned um, in fact a person that I actually now consider a friend his name's Marvin Dearman is uh, the police diver who um, who tried to save Joe and uh, I saw Marvin again last month and he's a wonderful man but it, it, it it's still post-traumatic stress for him uh, in a lot of ways and uh, but the Delaney's have made him feel like family. So, and I think it, it, that story, I, I don't know where you were in 1983, Blair, but I was just back home in the Philadelphia area and an avid reader of sports stories. And I remember that just sending a shudder through me, that whole story. I agree. I, me too. I, I just, I'd been in a newspaper for a couple of years uh, and uh, I, I do remember the story. It was such a, <clears throat> such a tragedy. Yes. You know, su- such a tragedy that, that, appeared to have come from a good place you know yes and and you know, a roberto clemente type tragedy yes you know? and to to cite your childhood hero, hero yeah. and and uh so when i came here to the star in 2013 
I guess it was about a year or so later, I, I had a, a bizarre coincidence when I was going to uh, Port Arthur to do a Jamal Charles story. Uh, a guy working at this banquet told me I might want to talk to his friend Marvin Dearman the, uh, about Joe Delaney, and I did. And so really, every year since, I honestly, I try to find a way to cast some different light on him. One year I wrote about a family that named their daughter Delaney and wants her to be like him. And by the way, the Delaney girls remembered meeting this family at, at their wow. last game. Wow. And I've written about Marvin and certainly written about Carolyn. And now I, I feel honored to try to, you know, express some things through Joanna's eyes, but also through other people that still think of Joe. Uh, I've been in touch with a swim coach here who's been trying to get in contact with the Delaney's. And she's, she's coached for 50 years and looks at Joe as her hero. And Ashley, as of this morning, is in contact with the Delaney's. They're trying to get in with Kansas City Public Schools and just doing different things to keep the name alive and the legacy honored as it should be. Cannot wait to read it. Um, okay, let's take a break here, and we will be back in just a moment. Why buy tires now? That's easy, because you'll save big right now at Big O Tires. Save $100 on a set of Big O brand tires with paid installation, but only for a limited time. And when you purchase using your Big O credit card, save an additional $50 for a total savings of $150. We told you this was big. Only at Big O Tires, the team you trust. Hurry, offer ends August 25th. For your nearest participating location, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're back. Vahe Gregorian is here, and we, uh, we're going to switch gears. I was going to call this the slowest lightning round in history uh, and cover a lot of topics, but I think we'll just cover a couple. Uh, the Royals played today. Did you know the Royals played today? Um, you know, they played in Baltimore last night. They play in Cleveland tomorrow. But today, they took the um, they, they took a jet up to Boston to resume the game that was suspended. Uh, final game of the series was suspended a couple weeks ago. They picked it up in the uh, top of the 10th with the Royals hitting, of course. Uh, did not score. Red Sox score in the bottom of the 10th. Game is over. Can you imagine everything that went into playing less than a full inning of baseball? The the the, the, the amount of gasoline on the airplane. I mean, the, the players get there and they go through all their pregame stuff. That you know, they have to take batting practice. They have to prepare themselves for a game that lasted I, four or five outs. That's uh, as if the guys in the lineup are even guaranteed of an at bat. Right. <laughs> right. And it is. I mean, it's not unprecedented, but it's got to be 
a once every five years kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? In fact, I think uh, Pete Gradhoff, our, our, our staff writer, had uh, did a nice story online about setting up the, the game today and said, I think 2014 was the last time it had happened with the Royals. Um, they were involved in a game like this. And, of course, the Pine Tar game, the famous George, speaking of 1983, the hmm. famous George Brett Pine Tar game had to be, was suspended and had to be resumed. I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so because right. uh, they protested the game and they played it from the, pro- the time of the protest. So uh, anyway, uh, but I wanted to ask you about something else. Now, this is kind of silly, but but when I heard that St. Louis was getting uh, an MLS team, I thought, great. You know, uh, you and I have talked about how St. Louis really is something of a leader in in the evolution of soccer in the United States. And it was just... St. Louis U had great teams and won the NCAA championship every year. One of the National Player of the Year awards is basically awarded by the Missouri Athletic Club based in St. Louis, National Collegiate Player of the Year. So St. Louis has a real deep, rich history of soccer, and yet they were not part of the original MLS. I don't even think they were in the nasal, the North American Soccer they, League. I think they were. The Steamers, I think. Is that what they were? Thank you for correcting me. I, yeah, I, I didn't, think, yeah. But I, all I remember is the Cosmos and the Whitecaps and uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies and those teams. <laughs> so, but, but MLS comes, comes along and St. Louis isn't part of it. And, and, but now St. Louis is a part of it. So that got me to thinking, what an opportunity this could be, depending on what division St. Louis gets placed in, for there to be a rivalry with Kansas City. You know, I'm sure that I think the I think Sporting Kansas City sent a tweet out, you know, congratulating St. Louis and said you know, referred to possible rivalry. It got me to thinking that the metropolitan area closest to Kansas City that would have major league sports is St. Louis. And there is no rivalry in sports between those two cities. I think we know why, don't we? I mean, it's it just it just has never they've never played against each other that much. Yeah, but it's it it's still interesting to note because of what are the odds that they wouldn't in so many ways? I mean, we were joking when we were thinking about this about the you know the old Scouts Black uh, Black <laughs> Scouts Blues rivalry. Well, they they played what eight times probably in the two years the yeah. Scouts existed and. Um, the Hawks had already left St. Louis before the, the Kings, Kings were the here. Kings arrived. That's right. Um, and just really only a few years difference between that. The late '60s for the Hawks and the early '70s yeah. for the Kings. Royals and Cardinals play only interleague baseball. What four times a year? Two in their city, two in ours. Um, not enough to really spark a real rivalry. Yeah. Although it's Cardinals fans take over, and you see all the red in <clears throat> in Kaufman. And in '14 and '15, there was a lot of blue over in yeah. over in uh, St. Louis. And football, you looked it up, right? I mean, there's yeah, they did. Well, they'd only played before the Cardinals left St. Louis. The Chiefs, you know, the first time they would have played was 1970, and they only played, I think, it was six times. And I don't know how many times the Chiefs played the Rams. I didn't look that up before they moved, but only a handful at, at most. We did have the Governor's Cup, the which Governor's I don't, Cup. I don't know if that really stoked uh, the Flames exactly. <laughs> right. So you're right. There's been no, and it's sort of. It, it's interesting, right? It sort of reflects a disconnection between the cities, or, or maybe it's the other way around. I mean, I, I'm not sure, again, chicken and egg, but St. Louis and Kansas City, in my experience, just don't have much to do with each other. They don't. That goes back to my my helicopter view of the whole, you know, of the nation, really. I, I always think of St. Louis as the last city in the East, and Kansas City is the first city in the West. And... Uh, and, and, and St. Louis looks east and towards Chicago, and Kansas City historically has looked 
west and southwest. And they're just different in that way. I think I, I, but, think but I that feel like that, that completely. That doesn't have anything to do with you know whether they should play in sports or not. You right. don't need that for a rivalry. Right. But but they, they just don't have the city. They have the state in common and politics in common, right? But they just, they've yeah. never had sports in common. So so you think of if, if you're a St. Louis sports fan and you lived in St. Louis for 30, 25, 30 yeah, years. Yeah, 25 years. Wouldn't you say that the biggest rivalry for St. Louis sports is Cubs Cardinals? Right? Yeah, 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 Cubs, absolutely. I would say for Kansas City, it's Chiefs, and if you're old, Chiefs Raiders, and if you're younger, it's Chief, Chiefs Broncos, and um, and that also reflects the way the sort of the cities are directed, right? One yeah. one is west, and, yeah. and and one is east. So maybe maybe this can turn into something. Maybe whatever they call the St. Louis soccer team can. can it's going to be the Battle Hawks. No, that's, no, that's, that's, XFL, that's XFL. Sorry, team. oh, it's too many St. Louis teams all at once. You're right. Yeah, they, we don't know what they're calling it. Yeah, I was I was mesmerized by seeing the Battle Hawks logo flipped upside down. It has an STL in it. Oh, clever! Very so clever. And on one hand, I thought, well, you know, is it a tip of the cap to the old St. Louis Hawks, or is it too close to Chicago Blackhawks? <laughs> but anyway, I'm talking about the wrong team. <laughs> you know, this could have been. There could have been a Kansas City St. Louis rivalry in a, in a much bigger way. If the Royals had decided in the mid 2000s to accept Bud Selig's invitation to switch from the American League to the National League, um, was it close? It, I, I don't know if that was close. Well, the fact that Bud was, the, of course, the commissioner and made the offer to Kansas. Kansas City had the first right of refusal for that. It was the Brewers that ended up doing it, but Bud was the one who said, "Look, Kansas City," and he, and he actually talked to the Glass family about it. Um, Bud just came out with his autobiography, and there's a there's a few paragraphs devoted Ooh. to this, and um, and for whatever reason, the Glass family just thought more, you know, in, you know, they could have played the Cardinals and the Cubs on a what, how many games you play now, 18, right? Three home series, three road series. Thought they had, you know, didn't want to disrupt things. Thought it was thought, thought the Royals had built up enough tradition in the American League to not disrupt that. I don't know at the time. I think the Royals should have tried anything to be more interesting mm-hmm. because they were in the that was in the midst of their yeah, hundred yeah, hundred lost yeah. teams, teams, but uh, but they stayed where they are and so really no real sort of St. Louis Kansas City rivalry has ever developed in sports. I think you know in other in other areas we kind of look at Kansas City tends to look at St. Louis in a rivalry and I think St. Louis tends to look at Kansas City and say what are you talking about. It is a little, just having lived there, I just remember thinking, like, I, di- I didn't ever really feel conscious of, you know, the, how Kansas City looked at St. Louis necessarily. St. Louis was too busy looking at Chicago, like, as you noted earlier. And I do think there's a little bit of a Kansas City at that time, maybe less so now, but at that time seemed to look to St. Louis the way St. Louis looked to Chicago. I feel like in the last six, seven years here, and probably more easily dated back to 2008, right, with, with the, the rebirth downtown and things like that, feels like Kansas City doesn't really have to look anywhere. I mean, I feel like Kansas City is kind of its own entity and proud, rightfully proud of itself for its own vibrancy and growth. And, and uh, I think the population numbers show that, too. Right. I'm, I'm getting a far afield here, but that's what we do in the world's slowest lightning round, <laughs> fastest lightning round. <laughs> Well, we've got the quarterback, and that's uh, that means everything. And, and the you, team. The team. <laughs> when you have the team and the quarterback, you can, um, even though I'm cautious, um, you can be wildly optimistic about your city. You know, the harshest I ever saw you be on anybody, and I know I think you know where I'm going with this, was when our dear friend Jim Thomas of the Post Dispatch was in town, 
<laughs> trying really, to cobble was, cobble no, an NFL beat out of that job after the Rams left, <laughs> and and we have him on as our guest. <laughs> no malice intended. No malice, but I think what was the exact line? It At was least we have like, a team. Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, of course, Jim Thomas, the longtime wonderful writer for the St. Louis Post Dispatch, who had covered every Rams game in St. Louis. And um, and we saw him in the press box, and it was Indianapolis. The Colts and the, and the Chiefs had played, and we brought him on as an A-team guest, Facebook Live after the game. And, um, and I forgot how the conversation unfolded, but yeah, I I, I, th- I seem to remember re- reminding him that Kansas City had a team and St. Louis didn't. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I've regretted it because it was not taken in the spirit in which it was. Oh, it, it was. It was playful. And, <laughs> and you know what? It, Jim gets the last laugh covering the Blues, the yes, NHL right. champions. Yeah, and, he, and, uh, he got to a championship before we, before Kansas City did. <laughs> and he, know, you know, he knows uh, how you feel about him. And, and uh, he was like my most important first mentor, really. So I, I, I uh, carry the flame for him. All right, Vahe, great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And I will see you Saturday night in the press box at Arrowhead Stadium. Thanks, Blair. Links to the stories we discuss and stories that appear in the football section can be found in the show notes on KansasCity.com, Facebook.com slash Red Zone Extra, and the Red Zone Extra app. Thanks, Kathy Lou, for producing this episode, and have a good trip next week. Thanks to our sponsor, Big O Tires, and we'll be back this weekend after the Chiefs 49ers preseason game with another edition of Sportsbeat KC.